Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Dear Hank and John. Or, as I think of it, uh, Dear Mark Watson and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers and sometimes a brother and a friend give you advice, answer your questions, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Today I'm here with Mark Watson. Mark, did you know that two vegetarians can never argue because they're not allowed to have beef? I don't think that's that bad. <laughs> okay. I'm kind of, I'm disappointed by how little I'm cringing. Oh, okay. Well, you're a professional comedian, so you would know. Um, so yeah, I, I guess the thing is I also am a, a dad, so I probably have gotcha. developed a kind of imperviousness to dad jokes now. Like I, I'm yeah. kind of the target audience. You're in it. I'm, I'm in it. What, how, how, what kind of children do you have? Uh, I have a 12-year-old boy and an 8-year-old girl, so I, I'm now in a very poor position to judge whether a, a joke is good because all yes. everything I do is embarrassing to them anyway. Oh no, that's that's uh, that happens that quickly. Well, yeah, but I don't even say that with too much regret. I I, I think it's kind of um, I don't think it's embarrassing in a way that they experience as bad. I think it's just okay. like an an expected part of the territory, right. basically. Okay. And at least being a comedian is cool for a while. They'll they'll come a point where they're actively resistant to it, but that that point hasn't come yet. Okay, good. Uh, so I am aware of your work just by being aware of the British comedy scene, which I enjoy very much. So thank you for coming on to our weird podcast. Well, thank you. I'm, I was surprised you were aware of who I was. And um, and also I have to say, uh, obviously I've listened to the podcast, but I'm not normally you know, party to all of the questions um, that come through. Yeah, yeah. We sent we sent Mark the whole doc. A lot of people don't even look. You see, you've looked at all of them. I loved. I, I yeah, I, I read uh, several dozen questions. Uh, the uh, <laughs> the inquisitiveness and uh, just the fun of them was. Uh, I mean, I, not a surprise to you, but it's a uh, yeah. You've got a great listener base there. Hello, everyone. <laughs> it is it is fantastic, and I feel it is the thing that makes the podcast work. So I was. We recently did a charity event, like a fundraiser, and. At the end, one of the people who was there came up to me and brought me her list of every question she's ever sent to Dear Hank and John. Amazing. It was an Excel spreadsheet, and it also marked whether whether we had answered it, them or not. There were, I uh, would say, 150 questions, and we had answered four. 
That's extraordinary. <laughs> I, I I love the idea, but I'm also unsurprised by the idea that one of your listeners would have such a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> Just adds another one to it every I, time. That's amazing. Those. Um, I wonder whether she considered the four questions like better than the other ones or did she just get lucky or you know i i i did what i said was that seems like a pretty good rate to me and and she 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 agreed good and she wasn't there to complain about <laughs> yeah. the 146 and and then um but but i should have asked like what do you think that we picked the good ones that's a great question yeah it would be it would be kind of uh what we call in this country sod's law if it wasn't even questions she was that bothered about which which yeah. did make the grade uh-huh. because you know in, in the same way that sometimes a tweet gets far more attention than yes you could have imagined and you think why why that all one? the times yeah why that one nah. there's a spelling mistake in that one you idiots now i'm known now i'm known for that stupid thought that i had now i'm the guy that made one joke about a goldfish and the rest of my canon of work is irrelevant <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh well at least now i can edit tweets which is is new for me because I pay oh, I pay for you? Twitter Blue, which means that I can I can get in there. I didn't know that was a thing. If I do something wrong for thirty minutes, I can make a fix. So I'm I'm off the rails now. I bet no you. one's in control. <laughs> you must just be tweeting all kinds of racist stuff, knowing it'll only ever have a thirty minute shelf life. Well, they, it does keep the it does keep the edit history, so they can see what what you once tweeted. Right. And of course, people will always be able to screen, screenshot stuff after one second, I suppose. But also you could always, uh, screenshots can always be faked. And I remember, I keep that in mind because I often see faked screenshots. Wow, that isn't, oh, I guess it I guess it would have occurred to me, but that's another level of, uh, God, we're all putting a lot of energy into Twitter, aren't we? We, yeah, we, we, people make fun of me for paying for Twitter with money, but I pay way more with my mental health and time and attention so for sure that seems like a good trade-off dare i ask can anyone have twitter blue or is it available above a certain kind of fame level or any anyone can have it with uh, in in but i don't think it's available in every country no i don't think i've heard of it it's available to any yeah any to anybody who wants to pay i mean in the countries where it's available i don't have a particularly bad history with like i would mostly use it just for uh typos changing spelling mistakes yeah that's what (laughs) i have it for again i believe that's a good use of money yeah Yep. <laughs> so, removing grammatical errors from the history. I I got I went deep on how the edit actually like the moment I got access to editing my own tweets. Yeah, bet. After years of wanting it, I I just I, I figured out every single way that it works and doesn't work, which it was maybe a little much, but uh Well, you won't know what you're paying for. Well, interestingly, if you read, if you like quote tweet or retweet a tweet before I edit it, uh-huh. it stays the old tweet, which I think is a really good way of doing it. Okay. So if you retweet my old tweet that has a typo in it, it keeps the typo in your retweet. It will, it will always then, be there even after you have edited it. That's right. I see. And, but then it says like this tweet has been edited and you can see the more, more recent version of the tweet. That seems like quite a good compromise because people's reservation about the edit function is that people yeah. could dishonestly change you know, and then I've like quote tweeted something terrible, not the the thing I thought was great. Yeah, that makes yeah. complete sense, actually. Yeah, this seems like quite a good way of doing it because you can imagine that if you could freely edit tweets forever, thirty minutes gives you a window to do it if you if you f***ed up, but it doesn't. Right. It doesn't allow, for example, dictators to uh, change history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Good. Well, we say a lot of bad things about the Twitter guys, but I think they have maybe have nailed that by the sound of it. I think they've been I think they've been thinking about this one more than we have. They will have done average. because for at least ten years people have been complaining about the lack of Twitter, uh, Twitter edit <laughs> functions. 
So I'm very glad to have you on the podcast. I'm very glad that you are excited about the questions. I am. And I feel like I should just leave you in charge because you are such a connoisseur of quality questions from my Question Ask You podcast. Well, that is, uh, I would say, both an honor and um, something of a threat because I don't have them in front of me now, but I can get, I can easily get that Google document up. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll, I will ask the first one that you highlighted that's from Lucy who says, hey, dear Hank and Mark, uh, my mom just said, if we needed to, we could get ourselves out of a pickle. And my brain took that literally. So I wondered, do you think that if you were stuck inside of a giant pickle, you could break your way out? No such thing as an original thought or sign off, Lucy. I think if I was in a literal pickle, I might be done. <laughs> that might be game over for Hank. That might be it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think. I liked the question because it reminds me of James and the Giant Peach. Yeah. By Roald Dahl, which I think is one of the uh, one of the canonical works where someone is stuck inside food. And <laughs> I like, I mean, for a start, he has a lot of trouble getting out of that and a pickle is probably a lot right. more robust than a peach right yeah yeah and there's like a lot of space in that particular peach for whatever reason which seems like troubling that's true he, he has a lot of right he has a lot of room to maneuver i think if you were if you were encased in a giant it depends on the, the dimensions of the pickle doesn't it if you can't even stand up then you are in big trouble i think yeah yeah i was imagining just completely surrounded like i've been in a pickle avalanche like an avalanche, but it's all it's all the inside of a pickle, and now I'm just sort of <laughs> frozen in whatever shape I'm in. I can't make a new hole. No, I think then that could be very tough. I feel like I'm not going to eat my way out because I don't like pickles. I mean, I don't mind them, but I I, I think I I would tire of the task of trying to eat my way out of one quite quickly. Like, yeah, you, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I don't mind one in a Big Mac or something, but this is a very different yeah. proposition. This is this is a what's the what's the thing that you could get stuck in that probably would go okay. Because, like, there's definitely on the far side, it's like a can of beans. Can of beans, yeah. you're not getting out of that can of beans. That's it. That's the end. Uh, I think if it's a can, then you, you do have to start thinking about your, your regrets then. Yeah. Yeah. And then on, on the near side, like, the best option is cotton candy. Where, like, I'm stuck in cotton candy, but, like, my only worry is falling once I get out. Like, where, <laughs> Yeah. Like, your only worry is that the cotton candy is suspended on the edge of a cliff or something. And, and, and like... Some ingenious supervillain. I'm very small. How high up am I? Yeah. And then you have yeah. to have other questions about how you got there in the first place, which I guess is a, another conversation. You're right, actually. Cotton yeah. candy is quite literally the, the best case scenario here. Maybe the it's, best it's barely, case scenario. It's texture. It barely, barely exists at all. Exactly. Uh -huh. um, so in the middle is maybe stuff like a strawberry, soft fruit, like berries yeah, soft, and stuff. Yeah. Like, or like a nougat, like a nougaty candy bar. <laughs> I yeah. feel like I could just punch my way out of a nougaty candy bar. Again, I think I am. Maybe one of the reasons I'm not that into kind of superhero movies and stuff like that is I probably do. I am too literal minded. And I'm again asking how how this came to be in the first place, which is not the uh, <laughs> not the point of these inquiries, obviously. No. It's, it's like when someone says, if I put a gun to your head and then ask me to, you know, uh, decide a favorite flavor of chocolate, whatever it is, like. My first yeah. thing is always, but why? Why such a violent means? Yeah. This seems like a terrible way to extract that kind of information. <laughs> this is, I would this is a massive volunteer. overreaction. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've never even been silent on this subject. Yeah, why, why, <laughs> why don't you just present me with some chocolate and I'll choose? Yeah. If I refuse to talk for years and it's a matter of major importance, then I, but even then, I don't think it's a gun, is it? It just, just threaten me with legislation or something. Um, <laughs> just be mean, a little mean. Yeah. I'm very, yeah, I, I'm very weak-willed. Oh, I'm pretty sensitive. <laughs> you wouldn't have to get anywhere near a gun before I caved in. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right. I reckon 
Even nougat, you're worried that it would be tougher than you. I reckon a lot of things would be tougher to break out if you were encased in them than than we imagine. Right, maybe. right. I mean, like, I'm wondering, am I tiny and it is and it is normal sized, or am I my sized and it is big? Yeah, as happens. I guess that shouldn't matter. No, but instinctively you feel like it does. Like you feel that if I was very small, if, could I punt through nougat? If I'm my size, I definitely can. I've I've done it before. With my teeth. Of course you have. We've all punched through nougat. Yeah, yeah, like you feel, even though it shouldn't matter, you do feel like it does. You feel like if James had been tiny and in a regular size peach, he would have been in quite big trouble. Yeah. As it was, he was still a, a boy with the ability. Although to be fair, I can't. I think he got out by making alliances with a load of weird animals and stuff that also were in there, from what I remember. Yeah, but so he was inside the peach... And there was space in the peach, though. This, yeah, you could, I think the way I remember, you could kind of walk around the peach. It was like being in a big yeah. tent or something. So if I ever bit into a peach and it was a normal-sized peach and like it was like there was a bunch of air <laughs> inside, I would be really totally. wor- like, well, super worried. I understand it's a giant peach and giant peaches are different. But, y- but- you're right. When, when you bite into a peach, you, you bank on it all being there, really, all being solid <laughs> matter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I guess. Right. But again, I mean, it, it's not the biggest liberty Roald Dahl took. Like he 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 was allowed to do that. He had that license. Yeah, yeah. That's yes, definitely. That that's that's how you set yourself up if you're Roald Dahl. You have done that. You have succeeded in that. You can now have a peach with just about anything in there, and it still makes sense. Totally. And I, sometimes I envy authors like that who uh, right from the get go their their thing is. A world like our own, but let's not worry too much about how things are. Exactly. If you're allowed to have at least one thing that is completely mad, then you can do that forever. Then I'm not saying there's no skill to it, but it's really helpful for plotting. If, for example, animals can talk or fruit can get massive, <laughs> just have a big air pocket inside. Uh, it's good that it only happens to giant peach because you wouldn't want to take a bite out of a peach and have a bunch of animals be inside of it. No, I think in a lot of ways that was what we might call an anomalous peach. Yeah, and um, weird, a weird one. I can't even yeah. remember how the, it. How the only one of its kind. Yeah, it got big because of some supernatural happening, which I now can't remember. But again, that's kind of what you expect, isn't it, from a doll? Yeah, it's sort of upsetting that you, one of the leading world doll scholars, does, doesn't remember that about the giant peach. Famously, I'm, I've only recently been crowned one of the leading role dark scholars, as in by you, in the last few seconds. And I, I kind of feel like it's not one of his absolute top-tier books, but it, it has been probably 30 years since I read it, so that maybe needs to be revisited as an opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. What, do you, what do you got for us? Anyway, I feel like we've cleared up Lucy's inquiry to some degree. Yeah, well, like, you, you and your mum are dead, and so are me and Mark Watson. <laughs> Basically. That might not be what you wanted to hear, but we're not here to make friends, eh? This, I think, is a really interesting question because it's um, both very specific and also relates to something we can all identify with. It's from Julia. Uh, Dear Mark and Hank, I'm currently stranded four hours from home in Washington, D.C. I came here with my dad to hike some trails. His car broke down. It's a holiday weekend, so nothing is open and we're stuck for the time being. This is obviously really frustrating. At this point, I thought it was going to be a query about how to fix her car, um, (laughs) which probably... This isn't the best way to go about that, writing to a no, podcast. No, I would not be able to help with that. <laughs> I also yeah. wouldn't. And even if we were, I feel like a podcast is a long lead time if your car is broken down. But then she says, I'm trying to remember that this is a first world problem and I'm lucky to have a car to begin with and that we can afford to stay in a hotel a couple extra nights. But I still have been struggling with this and it's made me wonder, and here is the, uh, the question, how do you balance gratitude for what you have and validating your own feelings? So um, I don't, yeah. a, a, a great question, I think. How do you get to be a real about your car having broken down while still maintaining, uh, keeping sight of the fact that it's nice you've got a car. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and look, you're also in our 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 hour, my nation's beautiful capital, uh, where where there's many things to do, and I hope that you took the t- the the chance to not be in the hotel for two days straight. Just be like, hey, I guess we're gonna just walk around. CDC. I, I believe there is some historic stuff in Washington DC, right? Yeah, we did. We we made it the thing. It, it, yeah, and I couldn't tell you how, but maybe you can after having spent a couple extra days there. Yeah, that's interesting actually, because it's not even that big a city, is it, compared with uh, a lot of America? Like as capitals go, it's yeah. I think that it, it, some very good branding, anyway. Some good PR. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird to have a a city with just a couple extra letters after it too. We don't do that. With any of the other cities? Yeah. The di- why the, is it there? Is it to distinguish it from the state of Washington? Uh, it's the District of Columbia. So, yeah. Right. I, th- I think maybe. And the District of Columbia is famously for Americans, one of the only places where you don't have, you don't have like a representative in Congress. Because you're living in Because, yeah. Congress, be, yeah, almost. yeah. Yeah. There's like a- I see. Yeah. There's like a- so you get to vote for stuff and there's like a person you elect who sits there but doesn't get to dis- make decisions. Oh, that sounds like quite a lot of MPs yeah. here, to be fair. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> not officially. That's, that's all, that is actually also the case for Puerto Rico. It's not in there. There's sort of, we have a lot of weird things. We got a lot of weird yes, things. Your relationship with Puerto Rico is puzzling to an outsider. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's puzzling to an insider as well. Um, right. Okay, we're, good. We're, yeah. We're, uh, one day, maybe we'll work that out. Also, occasionally, I suddenly remember that you've got Hawaii as well. And I'm like, hang on, what? But that's just a, that's a state, normal state. And I, I'm sorry, but yeah, as but a British so far person, away. your relationship with many places is very puzzling. Your I don't know what you mean. Your monarch is just on the money of Australia? I- what are you talking about? We have absolutely no history of claiming places that have got nothing to do with us. <laughs> as far as I know. No at least I don't weird remember that from relationships going on at all. Uh, no, we have, a, we have a very yeah. secure and normal uh, sense of our own identity yeah. in the global village. Absolutely. And also in the local village where you are, of course, a country made up of several countries. Uh, that's right. None of whom are very happy being with each other. So, yeah, everything's going well over here. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> um, uh, we're following it loosely. So, uh, but, but to the question, I think that like, I, I err on the side of, um, just being down on myself and, and, yeah, and, be, and being too. like, <laughs> why well, I have nothing to complain about, just move forward. But I've also seen, uh, plenty of situations where that's super, un- so I think that it's more about what inspires the most productive action. And so if you're sort right. of like sitting here being like, well, why I can't, I shouldn't be sad about stuff. And that makes you even more sad about stuff. Yeah. Then that's clearly not a good road to go down. Don't right. do that. Don't Meta do that. sadness. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then you may get more sad about that sad. I, yeah. I think the fact that, that she's even posed the question suggests she's on the right path maybe yeah yeah i think you're probably pretty good most people don't have that no i think if you have the capacity to self-reflection to identify one of your problems as a first world problem then that puts you ahead of quite a lot of people with them that's a uh, yes that's a nice compliment for all we know she might have been like swearing for two days solidly before she sat down and wrote this question and she she realized finally uh, maybe i don't have that much to complain yeah yeah it's (laughs) but i do think it's yeah, I think it's very, I find it not an easy dilemma because the thing is, almost by definition, all of our problems are first world problems, right? Like anything you do, you could say to yourself, yeah, but right. uh, somewhat a billion people are without. So at some point you have to still make space for the fact that problems are problems. Right. And you can also like look back at the first world problems of the past, like the King of France in the 1600s. Had to, you know, carry his own poop in a pot. Like maybe he had somebody to pick the poop up, but he had to poop in a pot in his room. We don't like. We got this whole thing, whole system. Totally, we're dealing with that. Hot showers, 
all kinds of different food available right very nearby so basically at any at any point there is a better or worse scenario that you could be in and that's not your that's not your fault it's not our fault that people used to um exactly to put in pots and, and that we don't have to well, it's sort of our fault i guess we could still we could opt out of the current <laughs> toilet system but there's nothing in that for us <laughs> no I don't think it would be good for anybody. I think that's right. I think it's I mean, I think it's really important to stay conscious of your responsibilities to other people and to do what you can to be like narrow inequalities and stuff, but you can't start beating yourself up for the existence of inequalities that aren't your fault and which you have no control over for a start. Right. And there's something like there's something to the fact that r- regardless of uh of of how bad how how much pain someone else in the world is experiencing, if you like stub your toe, if you like wrap your toe around the the like the, bed, like the little legs of your bed, the way that happens in the middle of the night. In that second, you are in as much and as real pain as anyone. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter how anybody else feels. That sucked. Yeah, that's right. Like <laughs> it's happening to me right now. Stepping on a piece of Lego is a first world problem because not everyone can afford to buy Lego. But nonetheless, for those three <laughs> seconds, you are you are the most put upon man <laughs> in the world, and that's just the way it is. It doesn't matter if the Lego costs forty five pounds. Your your pain is real. Uh, <laughs> And also, different people's brains do process things in different ways. Some people do have more of a capacity for stoicism than others. It's not purely yep. your fault if you experience quite small sadnesses or problems as quite big things. You can work on it, but still, that's that's part of who you are. Uh, mm-hmm. Other people might be very, very resilient and good at dealing with crisis just naturally. So there are a lot of factors, basically. So I think the first world problems is, in a way, a misleading phrase, because it, if you're not careful, it can give you the idea that none of your feelings are valid, which is uh, the root of the question, and that's not a good place to be. This next question comes from Annabelle. It's very it's close to my heart. Dear Hank and Mark, I'm a decently smart person, I think, but every now <laughs> and again, someone will be talking about something they know a ton about, and I don't know anything about it. It's very confusing. My question is, how do I seem like I'm following someone and understand what they're saying, even when I don't? Annabelle, I don't... Do you? Do you? Do you do that? Do I? I've got... I've stopped doing that. <laughs> well, it's interesting this because at university, I went to a um, uh, well-known expensive... Well, no, not... Actually, expensive is not right. It's no more expensive than any other university, but it has, it has prestige attached to it. And I felt kind of intellectually inferior to most people when I got there for various reasons. Some of them to do with my brain. And some, also I was also right <laughs> uh, in a lot of cases <laughs> because some of them were either mad geniuses or had right. had the kind of schooling where yeah, they'd been... Yeah. Right. So so um, I spent a lot of my academic career basically doing what Annabelle is describing, appearing to be keeping up with the conversation. And none of that did me much good except that it is a useful skill in life. So indirectly... I, so you, do, you, you actually know how to answer this question, whereas I don't. I'm like, well, no, explain it to me more and better. Well, actually, I think I also am like that, but I had to. I've had to beat that out of myself. I think most of my academic career, inadvertently or not, taught me that being able to um, simulate understanding and knowledge is the, is the same as actually having it. And in a way, that's true. As in, a lot of people are managed to bullshit their way through all of life, essentially. But as I've got older, I've got much better at saying, "I'm sorry, I just I don't understand." Uh, and I so I think I think basically the answer to Annabelle's question is, do not ever feel you have to pretend for a start and even a listener of one episode of this podcast tells you this the world is absolutely baffling the human experience is yes. massive and complicated you yeah. cannot be across more than one percent no. of everything that's happening so yeah. just be be cool with that i reckon I've, I've found it liberating as i've got older to just understand that i know almost 
nothing and don't understand loads of stuff, mm-hmm. including some of the science aspects of this podcast. I'm all right with that. You have to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I am never trying to... Like what I don't want to do when I'm in a situation where I, I am the one who doesn't know anything. I, I don't want to try and have an opinion or have a perspective. Yeah. I I feel like in that, that situation, I am trying to... Um, to get them to showcase how like their excitement and what makes them excited about that thing. Totally. Yeah. And then try and like draw out the things that I, that, that I'm like, Oh, so it would be like, I try to rephrase what they said back to them. And I'm like, am I understanding this right? Do you just say that time doesn't exist? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually that, yeah, that is a good example uh, or weirdly relevant example. Cause the last kind of, science adjacent book I read was about uh, time oh god which is a subject that I find very interesting but also uh, bewildering obviously it was called The Order of Time I think um, I read that it was a very short book that's yeah. partly why I went for it. Carlo Rovelli yeah, I think uh-huh. the guy's name right mm-hmm. and like for about uh, maybe half of it I was like alright I'm just about there yeah. and then there was a bit where I thought uh, right I, I am gone now I'm like the guy in the in the can of beans. I'm not, I'm not coming back from this. Uh, he's lost me. <laughs> yeah. But then I found almost a, almost a weird beauty in that. Just like, I am totally immersed in your brain here. I don't really, I can't find my way around it, mm-hmm. but there's a sort of poetry in just these ideas, whether or not I can really understand them. Yeah. Cause most people can't do that. Yeah. I actually think that I, I think I, re- I stopped that book in the middle, probably in the same paragraph that lost you where I was just like, it's, I'm done now. That's so. It, so what I know for sure is that whatever I think, whatever a sort of like is my instinct about time is definitely wrong. Yeah. I, my, my take home from most science, even popular science books is like most of what I know isn't really right. And so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was chatting about this with um, in Australia with um the comedian David O'Doherty, who will be known to some uh, people on this podcast, I think Irish, uh, brilliant Irish comedian. And we were talking about, we both have this problem with science books where like typically it will go, uh, imagine a beach, the earth is a beach ball and the moon is like, you know, whatever, a tennis ball. And you're like, uh-huh. okay, fine. Yeah. And then the next step is, now imagine someone is holding that beach ball further away that, and you're like, I'm still just about. And then the third step is always, now, tilt the beach ball on its axis and cut into it like an orange and immediately you're like no no, no. it's too many it, things <laughs> that's too much i'm gone and this is that's yeah. too much and I, this is but, page 6 so i feel yeah. like i'm in trouble here one of the yeah. one of the things that i uh that that highlights this for me is the moon which is there all of the time like it's in yep. the sky half of the time like almost precisely half and yeah. uh it's but even it's, uh, when we it's, think it's not that it is yeah yeah it's either on the <laughs> other side of the world or it's just invisible because it's black uh yeah. <laughs> because Which it's is the, all and and the way that the moon works is it goes around us while we go around the sun and while that's happening it's also spinning but it's keeping its face toward us as it spins and and uh, yeah and also that's... we also we are tilted and with that many variables no right. one who doesn't think about it professionally actually gets what's going on with the moon <laughs> and like what like how to like how to say what a lunar month is and why right. the phases work the way so, they do. Someone needs to make like someone very clever needs to make a, net, a one hour Netflix special called <laughs> what's going on with the moon. And it, it just, uh, it, which is a definitive <laughs> statement uh, 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 summary, yeah. because you're right. It's yeah. mad. And then, and then you'll watch it. And at the end of the special, you'll be like, I understand what's going on with the moon. And then a month later, you won't anymore. You will have yeah. forgotten. 
even a day later, you'll already be hazy on quite a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's just my, um, I was talking to someone uh, uh, that remembered the moon landings about how, you know, especially older people felt they ought to be able to look out the window and see the guys, you know, on the moon, uh, like uh, on the night that it was happening, it was when it was on TV and everything, mm. like they're up there, they're on there. Why can't, and of course, in a way that seems like to us, like a, it's an easy thing to laugh at, but it's sort of also, it chimes with something, which is, it is insane we went, that people can even go to the moon. So it's not that insane to think if they're there, we should better see them. It's like, <laughs> I, I, but I, I find like, I've, I find it uh, almost, I'm, I'm not for a minute trying to get on board with uh, moon conspiracy theories, but I do find it astonishing that, that people are able, were able to devise a machine that could get there. And with 1960s computers could yeah. navigate there. And like every time I see anything to do with it, I'm like, it's just, it's. I mean, it's, it's still crazy now, but at least computing is so advanced now that I understand how these calculations could be made. Yeah. The idea that in the 60s it was not to patronise them, but they did really well, I reckon, to get up there. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. uh, And then just like, like, no one's ever landed on the moon before. And it's like, that's your job, Neil Armstrong, been, land on the moon. It's insane. There must have been a part of them thinking like, the. Uh, it's great to be the first guy, but I, I don't actually know if I, I wouldn't like, mind being the, the sixth guy. To, yeah, to me, being the, pr- the the pressure of not like if I if I'm Neil Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin, particularly those two, because Michael Collins is waiting up in the thing, look at looking looking down at them. Collins at least just gets to, to babysit. Yeah. If if I'm about to land and like I know that if I run out of fuel, if like I land tilted and it just like rolls over and there's no way to get it right back it, right side up. If I make a fractional mistake of any kind. Yeah. Yeah. And then then I, all of the work that everybody did to get me here, instead of being a tremendous achievement, is like one of the grandest tragedies in the history of the nation. Yeah. Because I get, to, I just get to die of thirst up here. Yeah. Uh, while America is like fatally set back in the Cold War yeah. and like yeah. generations of human ingenuity. Yeah, it's a, a first moment in it's a, yeah. Uh, me dying at that point is like not that big of a deal. No. But like being the cause of the tragedy. Yeah, like way too much pressure. Setting back the cause of the space race. Well, not just the space race, but that, that a, totally. I also feel like Yeah. When you think how many other people would have wanted that gig, how many other astronauts, yeah. how many generations of people would have dreamed about it, I think the, the few moments leading up to it, I would have been utterly overwhelmed by that feeling. I would have, yeah. I couldn't have stopped dwelling on all the people that were. It would be hard not not even to think about your your mum and dad watching or yeah. But if you then started, I mean, like I find it stressful. I still find it stressful being on a TV show that a million people are watching, even if it's not live and it can be edited and all of it. Yeah, yeah. But that is the that's the definition of one where you can't tidy it up in the edit. I think the, the first step on the moon, you really have got a. It's also the definition of something where you really only get one shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, listening to what they talk about, like they, so there's like the recordings. They like they don't seem to be thinking about anything except landing the spacecraft, which is a remarkable amount of brain control. It's not like self control; it's like controlling what your thoughts are doing. Yeah, this is interesting. I I find this very interesting. Uh, I I spoke to a um, prominent brain surgeon a couple of years ago, and he he said that. like being a brain surgeon has something in common with being a psychopath because again you don't think 
I'm cutting it. Like, if I cut this, then this guy will never be able to do this again. Or you just purely doing the thing that you're doing. I'm doing the thing. Yeah. And I would say landing the first ever vessel on the moon is a, a very extreme example of yeah. doing the thing. <laughs> yeah. Doing the thing. <laughs> what are What are you thinking about right now? Just. I, the thing. I'm just doing my job. It happens, though, that my job is to participate in one of the iconic moments of human history. But that's cool. <laughs> I don't Absolutely. know what that... I, I, maybe it says good things about us, but both of us would, would have had far too many thoughts to have ever done that job. Basically. Oh, yeah, that's not for me. That is not for me. Most <laughs> things aren't for me for this reason. The, the only job I could do is one where you're actively rewarded for overthinking and where no one else suffers if it goes wrong. Yep. Yeah. Which reminds me that this podcast is actually brought to you by The Thing. The Thing. D- doing it is what you're supposed to be doing, but it probably isn't. Uh podcast is also brought to you by Lego Pain. If you've had a Lego-related accident or emergency, we are here to look after you. <laughs> this podcast is additionally brought to you by James and the Giant Pickle. James and the Giant Pickle is it's Roald Dahl's new classic it's just a little less sweet and a lot more spicy. It's amazing they found a new dial, isn't it, after all this time? Uh, the <laughs> podcast, in addition, is brought to you by, and this is quite a big coup, I think, as sponsors go, <laughs> the city of Washington, D.C. Visit America's exciting capital today. Uh, that's, uh, to, to get funding yeah. from them must feel great. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's really going to take us to the next level. Uh, there, there must be some like question marks over taxpayers' money going into sponsoring a, uh, one podcast, but I don't know. That's a, a matter for you and them, I guess. As long as the people get up and spend their money in D.C., they're happy. Uh, it's all about... <laughs> You're very on message with these guys. Five million dollars will do that, though, I guess. <laughs> we also have a Project for Awesome message. This is from the Dutch and Belgium nerdfighters and friends to nerdfighters in the Netherlands, Belgium, and far beyond, I guess. Happy 15th birthday to the Project for Awesome. For the past five years, we've gotten together with a group of awesome Dutch and Belgian nerdfighters to digitally reconnect, hang out, uh, and donate during the Project for Awesome. This community has been a big part of our lives, and even though our paths don't often cross, we know that we will always have the P4A. Here's to doing hard things with friends. Even this message was crowdsourced. Nederland, oh Nederland. Stage direction sung in the tune of Auld Lang Syne. Okay. <laughs> Nederland, oh Nederland. Oh, Nederland. Oh, Nederland. <laughs> I was w- looking forward to the moment when you realized that that was a stage direction and you had to go back and do that. <laughs> I saw your face change. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I have to do a thing. <laughs> this episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice 
design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets... Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. I don't know what time it is where Mark is, but he's just straight drinking a glass of wine. Oh, that's, that could be any time, Hank. <laughs> but, but to be fair, it is almost eight o'clock here. Yeah. Uh, okay. At night, I should additionally yeah. add. Thank you for, thank you for uh, spending, spending your precious evening time with me. You're very welcome. During the um, lockdowns here, there was quite a lot of drinking and also quite a lot of doing podcasts, of course, because not much else was going on. And so I've tended <laughs> to associate the two things uh, together now as activities. <laughs> This next question comes from Sarah, who asks, Dear Hank and Mark, a lot of people have reply anxiety. They feel anxious when they need to reply to someone, even if it's just a friend. But I get anxious when people don't reply. I can't help but think that they either don't care to talk to me or have been in some horrible accident, even though I know that's irrational. Some of my closest friends have reply anxiety, so this is a problem for me. (laughs) Is there any way to communicate my needs without diminishing what they are feeling, anxiously awaiting your response, Sarah? Uh, Sarah, I'm so glad that we got to this because otherwise we'd just be piling the problems on the problems. Yeah, this is why I felt we couldn't overlook this question really because (laughs) it's phrased in a way which makes it feel it would be neurologically inadvisable to to skip it. Yeah. Also, I think uh, sometimes, um, or it used to be a a common trope that people made fun of American like therapy speak and Mm. jargon and stuff because it was seen as a kind of American invention and now uh, therapy is very widespread even here even in this buttoned up country. So, you know, but nonetheless, I think there's something somehow quintessentially American about the idea of one person with reply anxiety <laughs> and one person with an anxiety about not receiving a reply. Not the, uh, the ultimate stalemate emotionally. <laughs> Who's uh, So we're going to have to get together, have a, have a meeting of the minds and decide who's got it worse yeah basically yeah right of way must go to whoever has it slightly yeah. worse yeah <laughs> so you obviously can't control other people you also to some extent Yet. can't control yourself <laughs> yeah so actually so what we're gonna want to do is cut open your friend's brain and put in a, a little electrode that makes them not worry about this anymore uh, and now they can reply when i wondered how long it would be before you got into sort of transhumanism stroke genetic experiments <laughs> Because they, that that is an answer to a lot of these questions. Yeah, <laughs> it's all it's all a lot easier if we're not humans anymore. Sure, if we just but just perfectly efficient robot. If we just sign over some nice. of our humanity to machines, then uh, yeah. as I've been saying for years, <laughs> I, it is interesting this because this is a, like all of us are constantly in a negotiation between our needs and someone else's, and this is quite a stark example mm-hmm. of that dilemma. But I do think communication is half of it. Like if you know someone is is quite uh, nervous if they don't hear from you, then even as somebody with reply anxiety, I reckon you can accommodate that. I reckon this is about 
both the, both parties understanding exactly what the other's needs are mm-hmm. and trying to find a compromise somehow. Yeah, there also it, it has to be that uh, maybe there is a, some amount of like. So, for example, I don't have reply anxiety. I have a different condition called reply prioritization failure. Uh, R- where RPF? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, where where I I get a text and then I see it and I think, here's my text that I'm going to send. But you don't. And I don't type it or send it. Totally, I've done that before. Yeah. And my wife is the is in particular the greatest sufferer of this this uh, quirk of mine. Yeah. Because she obviously is the one who texts me the most and also the one who most needs me to text back. Probably because, but also it, presumably, you're so in tune with her that you automatically assume that you've right. done the work when you haven't. I can imagine that. Sure, that maybe that's it. It's a positive way of putting it, anyway. Yeah, uh, but but often, so, so sometimes the text messages are are just like lovely and don't require a reply. But sometimes they are like, "Who is going to pick the child up from school today?" And that probably does need a reply. Yeah, which is <laughs> does. Yeah, like if 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 several hours go by, the rep- the the yeah. text no longer matters. I think it's legitimate to have rank- reply anxiety, or no, no reply anxiety, whatever it is, when it concerns um, <laughs> the potential that you're- when there's an actual task at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, when your child might be committed to social care if someone doesn't reply. Yeah, <laughs> but that is the thing about um, yeah. the phone and the way we all live is there is this weird leveling effect where. Like an important text that needs action like that only carries the same weight on your phone as like some nonsense that someone sent you from Twitter or like, and especially if you're yes. on WhatsApp and things and th- things can be coming in every 20 seconds. It is, yeah. I think like reply prioritization is something we all have to work quite hard on because the, the lifespan of a text is so short before <laughs> something else pops up or, yeah. And it's a totally new skill. And I think in particular, like the the other thing is that the, I think that there are times when the 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 sort of, barrier to action yeah is higher and times when it's lower and so it's trying to keep uh, trying to keep conversations like low priority or low stakes with your friends who like what like and understanding what like is cuz like reply anxiety is a very non specific term maybe there is something more to understand about it there yeah and that can be done through communication whether it's uh on text or not yeah where you understand what what is actually standing in the way and and thus being able to empathize more more effectively and also to know that this person is probably just you know playing minecraft right now and needs that time to themselves and they are not dead in a ditch right everything always comes down to accurately reading other people's needs but yeah i wonder if i mean probably not us because we're we're busy but should someone organize a like massive a national international reply anxiety conference or something and get all these people together and just like hammer out except of course the RSVPs would be a minefield <laughs> I don't want to be the person monitoring the replies to that invitation yeah right it was and really it's just it turns out it's just like a big exposure therapy thing where you just have to all you all you do all weekend is just reply to things yeah yeah <laughs> yeah if you RSVP that means you're already cured and don't have to attend the conference but if you don't, if you don't come, that means you should have. It's almost like a catch twenty two. Yeah. Uh, from Amanda, dear Hank and Mark, long time listener, long time questioner. Maybe this is the hundred and fifty person. Um, <laughs> I just showed my friends the Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time. Mm. They didn't like it. Uh, Rocky Horror has been one of my favourite movies for years. Uh, how do I handle knowing they aren't as cool as I am? Um, <laughs> is that what it didn't say that? Uh, it does say that. And then she goes on to say, like, should I just get new friends or, uh, and this is the bit which interests me about the question, should I accept that not everyone likes the same weird stuff 
I do. I, th- I think what's interesting is how personally you should take it and how personally we do take it when someone doesn't like mm-hmm. uh, something that you like, right? Because it's, it's odd how much of a, a slight it can feel like. The other, I mean, what do you, how deeply do you know the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Mark well, Watson? unfortunately, I am in the camp of people that um, our questioner wouldn't get on with. Uh, Amanda, my relationship with the Rocky Horror Show is that I was taken at college by a bunch of people who were fans, who were Amanda in Amanda's camp, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't really know much about it. Mm-hmm. I was just made to wear a short skirt and fishnet tights, um, which, yeah. which was fine. That part yeah. of it I, okay. I enjoyed. I don't know what I thought it was going to be, but um, obviously what it was was an evening of people yelling out catchphrases that I couldn't have anticipated, didn't understand. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I've never really revisited it. So actually my memory of Rocky Horror is also that I didn't like it, but I didn't like it because I was with people who did like it. <laughs> Specifically, you got thrown into the deepest deep end and it was like, swim, boy! That's right. And it wasn't even a film, I should add. It was a, like a live uh, oh, performance, okay. which meant if anything, it was, there was even more interaction encouraged, but not in a way that yeah. an outsider could really understand so yeah basically i think if you are a fan of cult stuff you, you have to accept that yeah uh people are the other side that, of that there's a reason yeah there's yeah. a reason right and, and a part of the joy of being in a cult fandom is that other people don't quite get it right that's just how it is right famously the rocky horror picture show is a bad movie right like there there, there are ways in which it is good but like and and for a bad movie, it has a, uh, a surprising amount of ways that you can enjoy it. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that uh, someone coming to it a new... Sh- it's still a bad movie. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. With, with some pretty good songs. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but, but, but it is, it is enjoyed in the way where, where like, you like expose yourself to it so much that you start to see the ways that it's good. But I think in the beginning... It, it it was it was consumed because it's because in some part because it was funny to watch this bad movie over and over again right and I've seen Rocky Horror probably thirty times um, so I I am in there I, okay. I was in a Rocky cast once like I've done you're the, the other side of it for me right yeah. yeah so there you go that's a good insight I think like if you if something becomes a cult thing because of the baggage of that people have mm-hmm. put on it. And uh, that feeds off itself. Then it's almost impossible to expect somebody to enjoy it without any of that history. I right. reckon. But, that, yeah. but I, what I do feel is that doesn't. I mean, I guess the question was flippantly asked, but it definitely doesn't mean that you should get new friends. I think there's something cool about friendships where you just accept that there are things you simply don't agree on or want to consume together. Not everything, or you probably wouldn't be friends. But yeah, it's healthy to to have like huge artistic disagreements. I reckon within. A friendship. It's also great if you can have some Rocky Horror friends and not and some not Rocky Horror friends. Yeah, that's, you don't want, that's totally all right. You don't want everyone to be a Rocky Horror friend, surely. <laughs> yeah. What we certainly don't want is for everyone to like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. I think that would definitely ruin it. Right. Because again, uh, um, and I love it. I just think that it's bad. Right. Like it's objectively not a good movie uh, for for a lot of reasons. And then and then there are also inside of this bad movie some tremendous performances totally and some very weird moments and again with any phenomenon like that it means that a very specific percentage of people will love it and that percentage should never be higher than it is because that's how cult things happen if as you say if everyone loved it the cult would have no oxygen there'd be no there'd be no fun in it it's yeah you know you, you have to identify within a fandom like that as we're the guys that get it 
And for that to happen, other people have to exist that don't. So actually, I think your friends have done the right thing by not enjoying your favorite thing. Yes. And you need to (laughs) release the pressure from them and be like, that is fine. Do I feel in my deepest heart that I'm cooler than you and that I really wished you liked this? Yes. Yes. But I'm letting that emotion go. Precisely. not holding on to it. It's a good exercise. I I feel it. I feel it. And I let it go because different people are different. And if if we weren't, it would be a really boring world. Before we get to the news from our... Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I'm going to ask this question from Lucia, who asks, says, howdy, I just started my freshman year at Barnard College, and I only have one friend. That's great, but she keeps calling my home state of Illinois, Illinois, like she pronounces the S at the end. She uh, has been doing this for two months now, and I die inside every time. How do I tell her that she's pronouncing the state incorrectly? And she has been for her entire life without losing (laughs) the one and only friend I have on the East Coast. Lucia. I think this is great, especially the uh, the only friend I have on the East Coast put such a bleak framing on the question. Uh, the thought of those thousands of miles. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of people and there's only one. This is a famous, like, a textbook example of a social anxiety causing problem. Like, the typical one is someone is calling you by the wrong name and it gets to the point where it's been eight years yeah. and there's nothing you can do about it. But I feel like this is... Yeah, I'm, I'm just... Yeah. Can't this be rectified by just her saying Illinois in the correct way several times uh, in conversation, like, just naturally? Well, yeah, well, it, it could be another thing, which is that the person knows that they are pronouncing it incorrectly and it's just, like, the way that they say it. Right, okay. There are people... There There are words like this that we do. I had a friend who said peschetti instead of spaghetti. Right. Which is kind of like the like the keto word for spaghetti. You, yeah. Because it's hard to say, so you say peschetti. And so you just hang on but to he it. he just as grew a, up. Yeah. He just grew up and he's like a 80, like a 45-year-old man who says peschetti. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, it's too late. It's too late to change this. He knows. <laughs> it's, this is done. This is not about awareness. This is something else. Either right. I, either I don't, either I uh, learn to learn to love this, or I can't hang out with this person when spaghetti's nearby. So, so that's an interesting aspect to the to the question. What if, what if it's a known thing, and that like could she still love this person if right. the Illinois thing is some sort of affectation or tick or or, or habit? I th- here's my suggestion. You start selling, saying other states wrong, and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, just uh, just it like call call Arkansas Arkansas, which is what most of us do here. Yeah, or just a really <laughs> weird one like Ohio or something. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, Ohio. Uh, Ohio. Uh, yeah. Ohio yeah. is great. Just try saying like New York and New Mexico with the with the emphasis <laughs> on the new, and see how long that comes before it becomes a a conversation point. Yeah. And then when she bites, go all right. What about this Illinois bullshit? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, oh, let's go. But since since I'm also having trouble, uh, since well, not also, since I'm having trouble with pronunciations of states, and all, like also, you have to seed Illinois in there. You start referring to Illinois as Illinois, uh, Illinois, and then she says that's wrong, and then you say, oh, I didn't know. Let's look it up. I think I'm right, and then right. it turns out you're both wrong. That would be a very generous way of doing it, actually. So there's, there's no blame. There's no, and also, yeah. Oh, we were, it's like a tie. It's like, oh. <laughs> it's, it's a tie. And we put it behind us. Yeah. yeah. The great Illinois tie. I'm just wondering, I don't know quite how this helps, but there's, uh, Sufjan Stevens made that album called Come On, Feel the Illinois as well as a deliberate Maybe joke. that's what happened. And, like, I, I can't, and it's a great, great album. Like, I can't help wondering if, 
I don't know if these people are into the right kind of music, but that might be a conversation starter. That's all I'm saying. There's, there's a piece of work out there which plays on the Illinois Illinois thing already. But yeah, this is, of all the dubious advice we've given, I feel like this this might actually work. This is a solvable problem in a way that some of them maybe aren't. There's something there. Yeah, yeah. there's something there. We've helped. There, it, it may, you, may just be, you may just be an Illinois household now. Like if, if enough people called it Illinois, it would just be the word. Uh, yeah. Because it's not like- Eventually. Yeah, it's not like the original no. word Illinois. No. Well, it, now I'm stuck. Usage in the end dictates how we do these things. So that's right. yeah, that's- Will your friendship with this person survive a cultural shift where Illinois is actually correct? And then that's a massive climb down. Mm-hmm. I think probably not because she did say I die inside- Every time. So I think there's a, there's a fair bit emotionally riding on this that there maybe shouldn't be. <laughs> it's a little bit like having something in your teeth, uh, incorrectly pronouncing a state for a, for a, for a, the whole of your life. And you do, someday you do need to find out about the thing in your teeth, one totally. way or another. Totally. So I, however the situation plays out, it is for the greater good of these people, I think. This can't go on forever. Yeah. You have to pretend like it's the first time you heard, though, and like you haven't been thinking about it. Like next totally. time she says Illinois, you're like, did you say Illinois? Yeah, and if if this friend is a, is a listener to this podcast, then the game really is up. But I guess she's factored that possibility in. <laughs> it's a send them the podcast. <laughs> All right, what's going on uh, in English football? I don't need to tell you properly that AFC Wimbledon suffered a disappointing defeat. At the weekend, but I think they're still doing all right. Basically, I, I, do you? Because yeah. they're pretty, pretty. They're not winning a lot of games. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I'll revise that. They're not doing great. But um, I, uh, <laughs> I, I would say that they're kind of below where where one would want to be at this stage of the season. But the thing is, I support quite an unsuccessful football team, and so I don't really regard it as going badly unless things are properly, as Americans would say, in the toilet. So uh, where. AFC Wimbledon are in their league, which I think is 17th or something like that now, yeah. is roughly similar to where Mighty might in a different league, but nonetheless. And I don't yet regard this as a, as a uh, problem. I'm just kind of wearily uh, strapped in for another year of struggle. If that's your mentality. What league is, you, what league is your team in? Well, actually, again, this is a first world problem. My team is in um, the championship. So the second tier of uh, okay. English football. So compared yeah. with the Wimbledon fan, I'm in a, a good situation. <laughs> But uh, I still spend most of my time, most of 30, uh, 35 years now, dealing with, broadly speaking, disappointing results. So, um, And between fans like that, there is a real kinship because uh, a lot of you know fans of uh, huge Premier League teams feel as if life is really tough for them. And all they mean is like, they haven't won a trophy for six months or something. If you haven't won anything <laughs> ever, like, my team has only ever won maybe five or six trophy titles in like 100 years. So you do kind of... Uh, and quite often, uh, fans of super clubs like Manchester United who go through a bit of a dry spell, uh, commentators, pundits will say, you yeah, know, these, these fans are so patient. They've been through such hardship. This, this. <laughs> and to people like us, that is obviously insane. So basically... Yeah, you do yeah. realise that those the, that the teams in the second league have stadiums with fans in them. Yeah, <laughs> there are 25,000 of us that would kill for like one yeah. minute as a Manchester United fan, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I would say that... Uh, it's been a slightly rocky start this season for Wimbledon, but I suppose my overarching point is there is kind of a glory in um, in just sticking at it. In the, I also don't think, what, as some people might know, what everybody 
really fears is if you finish in the bottom two, you, you drop out of the league altogether. And that would be mm-hmm. a disaster. But I, I think they'll comfortably stay clear of that trapdoor. That is the that is the fear. Well, this week in, in Mars News, the Insight Lander is trying to survive as a dust storm bears down upon it. NASA first saw the dust storm happening on September 21st. First is how you say that word, letter, number. It's a number. <laughs> this is like the Illinois thing again. Yeah. First. Uh, so they saw it via, from space. They were looking down and they saw a dust storm happening on Mars. It didn't seem to be having a lot of impact on the lander um, because it's quite a ways away, but the storm has kept growing and filling the atmosphere with dust. And now it's beginning to impact the amount of sunlight that's reaching the lander's solar panels. So that has lowered the amount of energy that it can use from 425 watt hours per sol, which is a day on Mars, to 274. So n- nearly halved. Uh, to conserve energy, the lander's turned off the seismometer, which will hopefully allow it to keep working for a bit after the storm is over, but that means it can't uh, get any data right now. But the team behind the mission has estimated the mission might end sometime between the end of this month and January 2023, depending on how much dust accumulates on the solar panels. So Insight uh, has has been trucking for a while now, but it's going to be a shorter mission than, than we are sometimes used to with these stellar performing rovers. Again, you see, when we talk about like levels of stress in a job, I feel like that's quite a big problem. A dust storm on Mars is yeah. threatening my expensive equipment. <laughs> I'd be like, and, right, I yeah. don't know how much I can really do about this. But look, my car broke down. Yeah, right. You might be stuck in Washington, D.C., yeah. but there's a thing that's stuck on Mars with a dust storm engulfing it. Yeah. But at least it's not me. I can breathe the good old Earth air with all of its oxygen, and it's fantastic. Oh, we have great air. Such good here. air. I mean, most of it isn't anymore, but still... There's a, there a, a, quite a bit of it is less good than it once was. It's yeah. all, 100% of it is better than Mars Air. For sure. We still, we're still still galaxy leaders in that regard. As well, as far as we know, okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't, it, that is unclear. I don't know what air I would prefer, honestly. This is the air that we evolved for. So it's if, pro- it, it, in, in terms of our usage of it, probably we are galaxy leaders. Surely. It would be hard to imagine something better for us than oxygen, right? Yes. But if anyone's got anything, then we'll give it a go. Well, too much oxygen actually would be bad, but you don't want to get it, me started. <laughs> oh, that's right. Air is, is composed of several different gases, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. It's mostly nitrogen and oxygen. All right. yeah, yeah. Almost entirely. And it's mostly nitrogen, which is weird because we, it does nothing. It just is yeah, soup for us to walk around in and keep the planes up. Which is important, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Without the, all the nitrogen, it would be much harder to fly planes. I hadn't ever thought about that. Oh, there you go. Good old nitrogen. We don't <laughs> often think about it, but it's doing so much work for us. Thank you, Mark Watson, so much for coming on the podcast. Do you do you have anything that you want to tell people about? Well, I I suppose I'll just ask them to find me on Twitter if they would like to, um, which is Watson Comedian, at Watson Comedian. And then from that, in turn, is a portal to the, the many things that I occupy my life with. That's probably the best way. All the different places that we can go and consume your content. Um, yeah, although, of course, I'll be editing those tweets from now on. Now I know that's a thing. Um, there's also, I just, I Googled you at the beginning of this to see if there's anything I should share. And the, the top question is, is Mark Watson, Emma Watson's brother? Uh, right. And the, the, uh, odd answer to that is I am not the brother of the famous, uh, star Emma Watson, but I do have a sister who is called Emma and I, 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 I who's now married at least. So she has a different surname, but for the first 30 year or so years of her life, I'd say about once a year, a weirdo would get in touch with me, mm. hoping that I could uh, put him 
in touch with uh, well no not for the first 30 years from whenever the Harry Potter movie started yeah I, I, right. I've certainly <laughs> a troubling number of people out there think that I am the answer to them meeting Emma Watson the actor that well that's, a, that's troubling on a number of levels it really is yeah a number of levels <laughs> uh, the main one is that I do, I do not have the moral right to traffic Emma Watson or, uh, or facilitate hookups with her but uh, again the main argument against it as I say is that I'm not in touch with uh, with that Emma Watson I'm, that's good to know my sister Emma's great but I don't think that's what those people are after right I'm glad that we got that out at the end of the podcast so people wouldn't be confused <laughs> me too I'm, I I was trying to guess what the first question was going to be there uh, that's what it was when you started with Ismail Watson there you go it could be a lot worse than that I think if you want to send us questions, the place to do that is hankandjohn at gmail.com. And uh, you can impress Mark with how, what, what clever questions you have. The pressure is on that, <laughs> the, yeah. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Brooke Shotwell. Our editorial assistant is Debucky Chakravarty. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be, be awesome. awesome.